This week on Moonshine and Music. Been, been had since you've been gone. Hello, trouble, 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 welcome home. Hello, trouble, 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 welcome home. Van Halen's one of my favorite all-time groups and um, sure. my uh, my thought as I've gone to I think about 10 or so Van Halen concerts over the years is why bring the gong if you're never going to hit it do you have like a, a deep insight <laughs> onto that yeah but if you have the gong you must hit the gong that's, <laughs> that's what I think you bang the gong then you get it on <laughs> exactly. That's how it's supposed to work. You know. So, like, you know. Hello, so everybody. Welcome to episode 22 of Moonshine and Music. I'm your host, Joe Shelton, and today's guest is John Martin. He happens to be the father of the first guest of Moonshine and Music from episode one, Megan Christine Martin. And we're going to have him on the show today, and you're going to like the interview a whole lot, especially if you really, really like music because he does chat quite a bit about music and it's a very good interview. Uh, I want to thank Brent Smith for hosting the show and I want to thank Eat New Media. Go to eatnewmedia.com if you have some video needs. All right, let's get the show started. Here it comes right now, right here. Moonshine and music starts now. Welcome to Moonshine of Music, John Martin. Thank you. It's very nice to meet you. And glad to be here. Uh, I'm glad to have you on the show. Thanks. So, what we do here, if you haven't watched an episode, is that we kind of, um, you know, try to get into the background of the artists. Okay. Uh, have you watched a show? I've watched bits and pieces, yes. Uh, okay, well, that's good. Um, so, uh, you know, where did where, where were you born? Where did you grow up? Et cetera. Uh, born in Acton, Indiana. Uh, where my dad grew up, mostly. And then uh, moved to Wanamaker, Indiana through third grade, in between third grade and fourth grade. Then my folks moved to Brookfield, which is just the other side of Shelby County. Just uh -huh. like Marion County, Shelby County, less than half a mile out of Marion County is where I, fourth grade on, my folks still live out there. and. Uh, yeah, I, I tried staying there, uh, or at least in the Indianapolis area, but I moved to Florida, tried Chattanooga, Tennessee on for size, came back to Indiana, and then I've been mostly in the Fountain Square area since 2001. I see. So, uh, when you were, you, you, so you were rural, rural, Indiana, rural, some rural, Indiana. rural route 15 to be exact. Yes. Ah, uh, I grew up on rural route three outside of Muncie. So I, I got oh, that. Okay. I, yeah. We have a little kindred spirit in that. Yeah. There was a cow pasture beyond the backyard. Yeah. Yeah. We had corn, a lot of it, but, um, you know, I can get with that. So, um, when you were, uh, when you were growing up, what did your parents do? My dad worked at Ford, uh, retired from there the better part of a decade ago. Uh, mom 
was a homemaker and then ended up working at a daycare and then at the nearby elementary school where I went to school. She was there by the time I was in high school uh, working as an assistant for the uh, kindergarten teacher in the reading lab. Uh, she was a history major in college and yeah, and I was surrounded by teachers and military. My dad had been a Marine before he was a Ford employee. I see. So, uh, did, uh, when did you start getting into music? Was it a... Uh, I don't remember not being into music. I There's pictures of me with a ukulele at around two. Uh, got a guitar when I was three or four, I guess. But I didn't know what I was doing until piano lessons in third grade. Started playing drums in sixth grade. Not very well. Uh, but it... it helped me with reading rhythm charts and reading music in general and then guitar by the time I was a freshman I wanted to be Eddie Van Halen like most kids in my age group uh, actually I wanted to be Alex Van Halen first and then Eddie Van Halen <laughs> so the first it was the dream to be the drummer and I really wanted to be the drummer and I then I quickly realized that I just didn't have that the necessary genes to be a drummer well, you know, the thing is, I am a Van Halen is one of my favorite all-time groups, and um, sure. my uh, my thought as I've gone to I think about ten or so Van Halen concerts over the years is why bring the gong if you're never going to hit it? Do you have like a, a deep insight <laughs> onto that? <laughs> no, I get that. Um, actually, I met. I mean, uh, I want to just run up there and hit it. Just, just well, sure. Know, I don't uh, even. Have you ever had the chance to hit a gong? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, not I, that did, one. I did. I um, did the gong show on X103 one time. Because <laughs> Don Stuck from X103, well, formerly X103, now he's just on Q95, I believe. But Don. Uh, lived right down the way and he taught me all my early ACDC riffs when I was a freshman oh. sophomore um, but uh, Don and then it was Wank and O'Brien on X-103 in the mornings mm -hmm. they needed a gong and I worked for Mars Music at the time so this is 98 99 probably and so I, I get the gong that we had at the store and I take it to the station and P.K. Lavengood, any idea who that is? Mm. Local guitar player, brilliant musician, uh, grabbed my mandolin once, played it upside down, was playing the, uh, what is it, college pipe horn or something like that. It was uh, the Popeye theme song. Upside down my mandolin. Very impressive. <laughs> There's no way I'm going to gong P.K. Lavengood. It just wasn't going to happen. And uh, that's how I met Ed Wank. Uh, <laughs> Long way to go. Yeah, but if you have the gong, you must hit the gong. That's, <laughs> That's what I think. You bang the gong, then you get it on. <laughs> exactly. That's how it's supposed to work. You know, so look, you know, if somehow I had a way to get Alex Van Halen on Moonshine of Music, the first question I would ask is, why the hell do you never hit the gong? Or why the hell won't you call Sammy Hagar back? <laughs> that too. <laughs> yeah. Because you know, I'm a I'm a Sammy Hagar fan as well. Sure. So you know, Standing Hampton. It was the dirtiest album titled at the time. Yeah. Well, three lock boxes until, until they did fuck. Well, you know. Sure. Which was sure a little more. Um, but for unlawful carnal knowledge. Yeah, that's a brilliant thing. You just cursed it? on my radio hour here. You know. Well, uh, you know, we have an E for explicit. I gotta I gotta uh, I gotta exercise it once in a while. Sure. Um, <laughs> 
So, I mean, you know, we, we can get into the weeds with Van Halen, but this is about you. All right. Um, <laughs> so, really quick, Van Halen held my interest from elementary school. Well, the preacher's kid down the street, his older brother, Ron, pulled us into the bedroom. He's like, you guys have to hear this. And it was uh, Beautiful Girls and Ice Cream Man by Van Halen. Oh. That's what changed my everything. Uh, but then it was a couple years later, I was at Karma Records in Greenwood, that's not there anymore, at County Line Mall, and I got the first Fabulous Thunderbirds album on album. And I, I just listened to it again the other day. I love that album, and that was the one that, as far as Van Halen changing everything, it was Jimmy Vaughn that really made my playing change, made me want to be better. Uh, it was tasteful, it wasn't over the top, nothing against Stevie Ray Vaughan, but Jimmy Vaughn was the, the one. And then through that, it was Steve Cropper from Booker T and the MGs and Stax Volt albums. Um, James Burton with Ricky Nelson and later Elvis, uh, Emmy Lou Harris. James Burton, Steve Cropper, those are the guys. They all played Telecasters. Right. Therefore, that's what I needed in my life. <laughs> and it was, it was uh, 1999 in Portland, Oregon, when I got a real Telecaster. I had had one built in 91 out of spare parts. And uh, yeah, Tellys. I I have one too, <laughs> so I get it. Yeah. Um, the um, my uh, uh, you know uh, as you talked about that, I, I you, you mentioned the fabulous Thunderbirds, and I saw them live with uh, Bob Seger at Market Square Arena in '87. Oh wow! And um, the the thing that I mostly remember about the show was that for some reason the people in the first three three rows kept getting naked. The women did. Okay. And, and getting thrown out. And they brought, they brought one of the ladies down the aisle, and I was sitting on the aisle about 30 rows from the stage with a friend of mine, and they're bringing her out like for all four limbs because she doesn't want to go out. Sure. So there's like four of them carrying her out, and somebody yeah. reaches out and grabs her breast. Uh -huh. And then one of them, and then she started like getting really violent with them, and one of them lost hold of her. Yeah. And he grabbed the dude that grabbed her, and he like beat the snot out of him, then dragged him down the aisle by his shirt out the door. <laughs> <laughs> and and I'm like I've never forgotten that. Yeah. But the fabulous Thunderbirds didn't miss a beat. There were people getting thrown out left and right. They just kept playing, and they were wonderful. You know. So um, you know. Well, that's the sign uh, of true professionalism. Yeah. You, don't, you, you know they were noticing. You know what I mean? There's these well, sure. people up front and whatever. <laughs> you know. Show me show me a musician playing that type of venue that hasn't seen a naked person had a moment of nudity you know it's in the front row right yeah and you so, just move on you acknowledge and move on you know it, it, it was a different era for sure that was. 87 yeah <laughs> i saw sh many shows yeah, market square arena yeah 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 i missed that venue yeah i saw yeah. all my first shows there me too i i you know uh what, what was the first show you ever went to talked about this you last night going with that um a buddy of mine, uh, David, yesterday was his birthday, and uh, we're essentially the same age. He's got eight months on me, I pointed out last night. But uh, we share the first concert experience. It was The headliner was Quiet Riot on the Condition Critical Tour. Sweet. Yeah. Uh, White Snake on the Slided In Tour. 
Now, if memory serves, and I could be wrong, but probably not. I'm pretty good at this. Uh, John Lord was playing keyboards from Deep Purple. John Sykes on guitar, for sure. That was the mind-blowing thing. Um, I think it was Cozy Powell on drums, but it could have been Ian Pace. But I'm going with Cozy Powell. Uh, Neil Murray on bass, and then Coverdale. And I did not know what to expect, because the only thing I had heard was um, Still the Night once, and I knew that was you know pretty killer, but it was the Live in the Heart of the City album, that when they were still a blues band. It was essentially David Coverdale's variation on Deep Purple. And I loved it, but it was really bluesy. And they came out and it was, you know, it was cock rock, you know. He's microphone is phallic instrument. It was really <laughs> intimidating and killer. And he had that voice then that just couldn't be stopped. It was a lot of fun. But the opening band, the opening band was Armored Saint. Armored Saint. Armored wow. Saint. I haven't heard that in a long time. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, their their lead guitar player uh, got leukemia and died a couple years later, and they were really fun. It was just so different. It wasn't the the metal or the rock that I was used to. It was Judas Priest, Armored Saint, or Judas Priest, Iron Maiden, um, ACDC. If that was metal at the time. Yeah, I didn't know what hard metal really was. Well, metal, you know, kind of shifted a little bit into like four categories, and then people stopped calling some things that would have been called metal metal yeah. later. But then um, you had your Anthrax, and uh, John Bush was the lead singer in Armored Saint. He became the lead singer of uh, Anthrax later on. Great voice, but totally not Joey Belladonna. That's right. I know my metal singers. You're, you're like you're testing my old old time knowledge here. I'm I'm feeling a little inferior. I will so. double dog dare anyone uh, at uh, <laughs> Trivial Pursuit. If we have to do '80s uh, metal band trivia, you're gonna kill me. Is, okay. that, is that what I'm saying? Uh, that's what I, I want you on my team. That's what I. Need. Yeah, that, that's exactly uh, yeah. what you mean. Yeah, you do. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so music in general, you know. It, 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 I do not have the encyclopedia knowledge. It's just I really love that stuff, and I quickly learned that there's good music and there's bad music, and I just want the good stuff. And that can be the Beastie Boys and Run DMC. It can be Anthrax. It can be John Hartford. It can be whatever. But you know, don't bore me. <laughs> oh, and you know, there was a thread going around. I think it was even you know last night or today it was when it started. They were talking about David Allen Coe singing Tennessee Whiskey. It's like no, he can't. No, David Allen Coe. Give me George Jones any day. I'm <laughs> fine with that. But yeah, I, I will never understand the fascination with that guy. David and Allen Coe. David Allen Coe. I, I think it's just the one song, honestly. You know, the you don't have to call me darling, darling. Sure. You know. I mean, uh, I'm from my perspective, and I'm kind of you know a country guy. Right. Um, the the um, David Allen Coe is only known for that. <laughs> you know, he didn't even write it. I'm no, but that's what he's known for. Yeah. You know, um, Steve Goodman and the under underappreciated John Prine, and Prine didn't even take a writing credit on that. 
<laughs> There's your useless knowledge for the day. Uh, see, I'm really in trouble in trivia because I didn't know Prine had contributed at all. Yeah, that was his. That was his guy, Steve Goodman and John Prine. Yeah, that was a. That's. I mean, a classic song. Yeah, absolutely. That you know, if you play it in any bar right now, it will wake people up. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know. Um, which is, you know, an interesting thing. As you got older and you started writing songs, where, where, when did that start happening for you? I, I've never really called myself a writer, even though I do write. Uh, I, I kind of enjoyed, you know, reinterpreting and moving stuff around. I've just always written. I always keep a journal. I have a notebook in my guitar case now. Uh, sometimes it's just a line or two. Sometimes it's, you know, a few paragraphs. But it's usually stream of consciousness. What I learned in high school with my creative writing moments, I guess, was that uh, writing more than I could at any given time was a bad thing because then I'd just start babbling. So it was like, write a note, forget about it, leave it alone. And um, remember Crowded House? Yeah. Neil Finn, uh, it was him and his brother... Mr. Finn. <laughs> Ooh, we stumped him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Tim. Tim Finn. Uh, Neil Finn was the guy that I was reading about. He was talking about doing the same type of thing. He was like, I'm no good at just writing out a whole song. He's like, sure, if it comes, great. But if it's you know, a line or two here, great. And then I can put it all together, put it on a computer, you know, and then figure out this line works with this line and this line works with that line. And it's like putting together a puzzle. So I've got stuff that I wrote 20 years ago that I forgot about. And sometimes going back through things, it's like, oh, and it'll trigger something and I'll write a little bit more. But I've also been really fortunate, you know, I, at an early age, uh, I met Frank Dean. Mm-hmm. I was about 18 and maybe just, yeah, the side 18. Uh, he and Bill Schaefer had Guitar Town, and they had just opened it up. Then uh, meeting him, Mike Redman, who wrote for the Indie, Indie News and then the Indie Star, he was the music critic way back then. Uh, and Ralph Jeffers. You know, Mike, I don't know that he writes music, but I, I always enjoyed his stories and his short stories specifically. Um, but Frank and Ralph, it's like you're hanging out with two of the better writers in the city. Why am I going to write? But then I realized that was pretty stupid and I needed to keep writing, at least for my own personal joy. You know, even if I wasn't doing anything with that, I could still write. Uh, and then I could hold it up against their stuff. Also a mistake, but... <laughs> you know, you write the way you write. And well, and, and I, I think that's a tough thing. Ah, a lot of sweat. Um, I think it's a tough thing to compare your writing to someone else's mm-hmm. in general because everything's different. It isn't better or worse to yeah. me. Um, and I, I, you know, and I, I know that Frank feels that way when I've talked to him about it uh, once. Oh sure. And he was like, he doesn't care about how his music stacks up against other people's. Right. You know. <laughs> and and he's wired differently than I am. You know, I. Uh, you know, he, when I would go to him for advice, and we worked together at IRC in, in 1991, so I would have been 21, had gotten to know him pretty well at that point, and just got better and better over the years. He's my big brother. He just is. You know, he, he can't fight it, I can't fight it. That's who he is. Uh, 
he informed me about Dylan. You know, it's like I can't stand Dylan's voice. This was me at 21. It's like, how do I listen to this guy? He's like, oh, well, I, I'm with you now. Yeah. So, but I love Dylan now. Well, I love Dylan, but his voice—I mean, I want anybody else to sing it. <laughs> After three or four songs, I need it. a break, and then I can go <laughs> listen to you know Chris Christopherson, and he's slightly out of tune a lot. But there's something about that—you know—it's it's quirky, I guess is the the word. But um, well, I like Dylan. You know, uh, honestly, his singing in the '60s was better than like you know when I hear him now like a, a, a more because his voice is just kind of gone to me you know I don't know I, I've Whereas seen him live when he was younger you could understand him and I've only seen him in person live twice and both shows were totally different once at Market Square Arena with Joni Mitchell that didn't suck uh, <laughs> probably not, not no and then I, I saw a night with Dylan and his band in Lafayette and both shows were so good, uh, it, and they were totally different and very similar band. But it was nice to hear his interpretation of his own songs, uh, and you don't know which version you're going to get. Uh, it's kind of like, and I've never seen the Grateful Dead. True story. I've never seen the Grateful Dead, wherever the camera is, never. Uh, that, and I just don't think I could stand the crowd. It's kind of like a Dave Matthews band thing. Don't want to be around that crowd. It causes anxiety. I feel claustrophobic. If I'm on stage, great. If I'm in the crowd, I'm I'm suffocating. But um, I, I have been see the Dead and Company. I didn't see the Grateful Dead, but but every show's different. I've listened to a jillion variations of the Dick's Pick stuff and the other bootlegs, and. It's going to be a different solo. Uh, Sugar Magnolia is not going to sound the same in 74 as it did in 82, whatever. Right. Uh, and I like that. You know, I think that there's a lot of artists that get stuck doing their song the same way every time. But then you go see, you know, Dylan, The Dead, Tom Petty, you know, sure, it's a lot like another version of it but there's a slight difference it's that moment in time well that's an interesting uh, you know um, uh, one that comes to mind that I know of an, a record that was like that was Bon Jovi he put out a record called this left feels right or something and he took okay. all of his hit songs and played them like totally different like strange versions cool. and they were like way cooler than the originals <laughs> it, was, it was it was really cool it was like what what How did, you know in their you know, time I, I saw them live with rap and it oh, was yeah. it was the slippery one wet tour and it was a lot of fun yeah they were great at live I saw them in like 89 or so and they were my fantastic. hair my hair will do that you know if, if you, I, can, you it, can make it look oh, like I can make it, yeah not that I would ever but well, yeah can you do the short version of that though like not what he has now going <laughs> oh I don't know I haven't seen him in years <laughs> he's got like a really short kind of feathered thing going he's a billionaire you know? he can do whatever he wants yeah, I, I just want his money I don't care about the <sighs> hair you know what? If he's if he's a happy guy with it, great, good for him. But I, not he hasn't been on my radar in a long time. Well, uh, you know, I, I, that's fair. Yeah. Um, so, um, wow, we, we're being uh, under siege from airplanes. You um, Saturday in Indian. There you go. When uh, so you you were talking about uh, hanging out with Frank and I know you did sure. uh, you were in a band together it was uh, Syndicato we still are uh, you still are we still are okay are you are you guys uh, playing a lot no <laughs> uh, no we um, 
Well, we never really broke up. We just stopped playing. Um, we do a reunion show, or we've done a reunion show every year for the last five years now, four years, five years, uh, at the Jazz Kitchen. Syndicato, um, when they started, that was 95, and that was going to be Frank's solo album. And then he had Gary Wasson and Jason Roller, um, Gary singing and playing bass, Jason was playing gosh, mandolin, fiddle, and guitar at least, if not more. Um, then Andrew Fay, she was uh, she sang on a song there, and there's probably two or three you know other artists on that album, Appalachian Pipeline, that um, I know I'm forgetting three or four people at least anyway. But that came out in 95. I moved back here in July 96, 22 years ago this week. And uh, Frank was one of the first people I looked up. I would have been 26. And I played in Broad Ripple thir this past Thursday night at Flatwater. And I'm in the green room, which is the house next door, which is the old Ballantine Guitar Company, where Frank was, you know, running it and I didn't realize it until I'm sitting down there looking around I'm like I know this room it's like this is wow I was in this room and then I, <laughs> I thought about the timing it's like 22 years ago this is the week um, yeah I've been playing with him well I played with him in 91 I was a horrible bass player in his band with Ralph Jeffers <laughs> at One Liners Comedy Club played there a few times and then I moved away to Florida about a year and a half, about a year and a half later. Then uh, came back in 96 and started playing with Frank pretty much from that moment on. Uh, he handed me my Syndicato cassette, CD, and t-shirt. He's like, just learn all the songs. You're going to be in the band at some point. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and 20, 22 years later, you know, like I say, it's still going. We, ha we have... Um, at least, I think there's a CD worth of material that could come out, um, or in outtakes, stuff we never put out on on album, CD, whatever. Uh, How many Syndicato albums are there? Well, in Appalachian total. Pipeline, then Syndicato, which is the black album is how we refer to it. That was recorded in 98, came out uh, New Year's Day of uh, 99. Um, Logan County, that was our big deal album. The Gospel Plow, that I feel like got us in more trouble than we deserved. <laughs> yeah, a bunch of heathens doing gospel music that we all grew up on and love, but you know, we're horrible people. Then um, Frank's solo album, And Back Again, and that was essentially a syndicato album, but Frank had complete control over that. That's his album. Um, so we can call that five, and then, wait a minute, did I get that right? Appalachian Pipeline, Syndicato, Logan County, Gospel Plow, The Chord. And that was our last album. Gary Watson was not in the band. We had Brent Bennett playing bass, singing, writing some tunes, and Mike Brown on keyboards and singing. And, yeah. So we went from an album that kind of invokes the band. The first album was kind of folky country. Then Syndicato of the Black album, that's the band album. 
Logan County was bluegrass. Gospel Plow was gospel bluegrass radio hour. That was the premise. People thought we were making fun of gospel radio, and we weren't. We were having fun with it, but it, we weren't making fun of it. That was not the intent at all. And then uh, the chord, which is uh, country R&B. And so are you guys doing a hip hop album next? Or? Yes. Yep. <laughs> yeah. If I, you know what, there, there. Uh, hip hop in, invokes so many different, you know, genres of music and thought of different genres. Did you ever see Sirius Black? Mm-hmm. Man, he's good. I love the way he works a crowd. If I could get that into the music we're doing, great. Uh, Russ from the Mud Kids, uh, Rusty Redenbacher, Russ Johnson, uh, he's another one. I love the way he works the crowd. The guy is just so full of really good, fun energy. We've known each other casually since, well, I met him in 91 and when I was working at IRC and the Mud, um, not the Mud Kids, um, the Birdmen of Alcatraz were a big deal. And him and Dino just blew my mind. Man, that was fun. But if I could you know, get that type of energy into a, a country-ish rock show, that'd be fun. So yeah, I would do a hip-hop album. I've recorded, um, I've gone into the studio to record guitar parts that were gonna be used on a hip-hop album. That's as close as I've gotten. <laughs> well, um, we uh, have recently, you know, we've been filming some shows today. We just had a hip hop artist on that filmed like right in front of you, and um, you're, you're right about the energy. Yeah, you know, there's a really good, a really good energy there. Yeah, and if I'm gonna go see a show, I want to be part of the, not part of the show, but I want that good vibe. I want that, you know, a show that picks you up and carries you along. That's a lot more fun than just a good listening room show is fine by me, don't get me wrong. But if it's morose and just bringing me down, I don't want to be there. <laughs> I understand that. Yeah. So, um, you know, what have you been working on lately? Well, Gary Watson from Syndicato, Ryan Shore and myself, we have a trio called Scarlet Water, which is wine. It came from uh, the Farron Young song, Wind Me Up. And Scarlet Water is our trio. Um, Gary and I have never really stopped playing together. We might have paused a couple of times, but we still work together a lot. Uh, we're working on stuff. You know, he's got a couple of songs. I've got a couple of songs. We just need to, you know, keep playing a little bit, save some money, and see what happens. It's easy to record a CD these days, right? No, it's hard work, but. <laughs> But you know, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of equipment out there that can help you along in the process. Yes. However, I would say that it's very hard. Probably not as hard as when you know 1997 or whatever when you're using probably tape machines and having to get it perfect. But. That helps. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We were still recording on tape '98 with uh, the Black Album. Of course, we were working with Mark Johnson and Mark and Eric Johnson rather at the Pop Machine. So. We didn't have to do nothing. We had the two Brainiac twins, you know, there to uh, push us along and help us along and remind us that it was just a moment in time and it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be how it sounded that at at that moment in time. 
<laughs> also, really great advice. Well, now you, now it doesn't really doesn't have to be perfect. You can, <laughs> but you can fix it. Together. Yeah, yeah, and I've heard those albums. And I don't like them. That's how you end up with uh, Florida Georgia Line, or <laughs> well, Godsmack or Nickelback, and yeah. You're not a fan of uh, Nickelback. I'm not a fan of plastic music. Uh, so no, I'm not a Nickelback fan or Creed. Uh, Although Mark Tremonti's really nice. Met him at the music store. Nice guy. Can't stand the music. There's a lot of stuff out there that I don't want to hear that people love. I saw, um, uh, you know, uh, Sammy Hagar has that rock and roll uh, road show or whatever. Have okay. you seen that show? No. He he goes and meets up and interviews artists, and it's kind of cool. Yeah. And he did one with uh, with Nickelback. And that was the best performance I've ever seen them give. I mean, I, I was like, you know what? You guys really need to put out an acoustic record. I just wanted to like scream it through the TV, because you know they 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 just they look like real musicians that day, you know. And, and I hey, think yeah, yeah. If people right. see that they would be like, wow, you know, these guys really have some talent. When you've you know? got a band that's creating music, great. When you've got a band that's just creating product. <sighs> It's insincere, or it comes off that way at least. I, I, I've heard Nickelback's recorded work. I just don't get it. Live, they might be wonderful. Acoustic, they might be great. You know, it's like I don't want to hear a lot of Ario Speedwagon, but I love some of those songs. Oh, I love Ario Speedwagon. <laughs> uh, <laughs> They're one of my faves too. But they haven't had a hit, or they oh, haven't I've had a new album in, in, in years. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, really, they put out, I think, maybe one album without Gary Richrath or two. And that's okay. Uh, you know, I think that, you know... Dave Amato's brilliant. Gary and Gary and Kevin were such, you know, dynamic writers together. Sure. I think that their writing just kind of fell off after they split. Well, know? sure, you've got someone that's a folk singer. It's also writing Writing write with a guy the like power that. ballads. Then you've got a guy that's the crazy rock and roll dude who's drunk, of, you know... And that seemed to be Gary Richrath. Uh, maybe they work together really well. I don't know, David Lee Roth and Eddie Van Halen. They don't work together well, but they no. put together good but music. But they put together great music. I love yeah. that stuff. Uh, yeah, I think you'd find that uh, there's a lot of songwriting teams that have that differential. They have that thing. That makes it work until it doesn't, and when it doesn't, it doesn't. It, you know, well, you know, way. I think Sammy and Eddie were really great for each other. I thought sure. they wrote some of the best music together. Yeah, you know, and uh, even though that obviously didn't turn out well. Yeah, <laughs> I've gone back and listened to some of that stuff. Um, OU eight one two fifty one fifty. Some of the production sounds dated now. The keyboard sounds are awful. Um, there's some of the Michael Jackson stuff in the eighties I don't want to hear anymore either. But in its time, great. Yeah, I, I, I think they're great songs. I've heard, um, oh, like, great. I played Dreams in my set, uh, the Van Halen song. Sure. And But we play it acoustic, and it's just so different. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, but, you know, when, when you're looking at, like, the album Balance, you know, and all of the songs on it, um, which was their last real album together with Sammy. Okay. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. All know, right. With Amsterdam on it and uh, no. Can't Stop Loving You and... Um, yeah. You know, they, um, they, they, and they did a lot of cool, different things with that record and then suddenly they were away with the wind because they couldn't get off. <laughs> yeah. And then you got Gary Sharon. Uh, yeah, well, that was terrible. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. He had a great voice. Probably he still does. does. He has a great voice. He just doesn't. It wouldn't have been Halen album. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, totally if you not. called it a Eddie Van Halen solo album with someone else singing a lead, maybe it would have been better. But yeah, it no. would have been easier to stomach. I think some of the instrumentals on that album are really great. Mm. Um, but it, it just didn't work for me as a Van Halen fan. Sure. Anyway, what are you going to play for us today? Uh, well, that's a guitar. I've got a ukulele and a mandolin. What do you want to hear? So we're going to, all right, whatever you want to do is good. We're ready for some music, though. Mm. So let's get it together. What all do you right. say? All right, thanks for coming in today. We're going to hook you up. You're going to hook me up or Mike yeah, it up? Well, we're going to hook it up. So okay. we'll be right back with more Moonshine and Music and John Martin Live. Thank you. Next week on Moonshine and Music, we have Mikey Good from RecipesThatCrock.com. You know, or as good as it gets on YouTube. He is a fantastic musician, a great songwriter, and he cooks up some incredible recipes. And you'll get to hear his music, which sounds like this. Well, it's Saturday night, we're out on the town. And I don't even notice anybody else around Because baby, I only got my eyes on you
him do a song that reminded me way too much of it and uh, stuck it back in my head. And I started performing it after I wasn't playing with Frank full time. So Gary and I have just kind of taken it aboard as one of our own.
John Martin, thanks for coming on the show. We really appreciate having you here. Tune in next week when we're going to have Mikey Good on the show. You will really love Mikey. If you haven't seen him already, go to recipesthatcrock.com or check out his Good As It Gets on YouTube before the show next week so you'll have like a little baseline of what we're talking about. Really, really good show next week. Thanks again to Eat New Media, our broadcast partner, and to Brent Smith. And we are out of here this week. Thanks for watching Moonshine and Music. Moonshine and Music is a presentation of Eat New Media in association with Not Less Entertainment. Producers for today's program are Brandon Lay and Joe Shelton. Be sure to join us next time on Moonshine and Music.